Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. All right, hey, if you're um, following along in your Bible or a Bible app, you'll turn to Acts chapter 1. It's where we were last week. It's where we'll be again today. We're in a series called Taken, and uh, we did a little bit of math to get to this, but um, if you're a good student of the Word, you can kind of follow along with this, and you can um, embrace this and, and know this the rest of your life. But Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he was resurrected. We call it Resurrection Sunday or Easter today. And so that Resurrection Sunday was the day after, the day after Passover Sabbath, right? Passover Sabbath. So Passover is like a Jewish holiday, still celebrated today. 50 days from Passover is another Jewish holiday called Pentecost. 50 days from Passover is another Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead and walked around for 40 days, the Bible tells us that, proving in many ways that he was alive, eating, touching people, talking with people, letting them touch uh, the scars in his hands and things like that. So he proved that he was alive, appeared to over 500 people who saw him after he came back from the dead. And so Jesus did this for 40 days, and then he was taken away into heaven, it says. And so you got a 10-day window between when Jesus was taken away back into heaven and the holiday or celebration of Pentecost. Pentecost is the kind of official start date of what we call church today. There was no church in the sense that we've got it up until that point. So Peter preaches this sermon. We'll get into that in the next few weeks. But Peter preaches this sermon, the very first sermon in the church. And thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And the church is launched at Pentecost. All right? But you've got this 10-day gap between when Jesus left earth and the Holy Spirit is sent to earth to indwell believers and start the church. And that 10-day gap is what this series is all about. When Jesus was taken away and his closest followers were all huddled up in a room, uncertain about what was next, looking at the plan they had thought in their head and being like, this isn't what we thought was going to happen. What's up? Feeling uncertain or confused or lonely. Like everything you wanted and thought life was going to give you has been taken away. And you're stuck just wondering what's next. That's the scene. That's the scene we're covering every week, really, in this series. And we're kind of teaching through the first couple chapters of Acts where it all takes place. And I shared with you guys all last week, if you were here for the first week, that Acts is really volume two in a two-volume set, a two-volume book. Luke is the author of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Acts. Acts, in some Bibles, might be called the Acts of the Apostles. And so Luke, his first uh, volume, his first uh, written testament in the Gospel of Luke, covers all the things Jesus did and said up until the time he was taken back to heaven. And Acts covers everything that Jesus would do after that point through all of his apostles and closest followers to kickstart this thing today that we call the church. That they didn't know anything about at that time. It was a a mystery to them. It was revealed only to them at this time. And so they expected Jesus to conquer Rome and set up a kingdom on earth where he would rule and reign as the king and there would be peace and no death and no sickness and everybody would get along and they would get to rule with him. But Jesus had other plans. In fact, he had bigger plans. He could have conquered Rome, set up a kingdom, and been the king of Israel. But Jesus had plans that would go to the ends of the earth. 
And he was going to use these guys to do it. And they were a rough choice for it. They weren't very important people. They weren't very rich. They didn't have any influence in the community. They definitely didn't have any influence with Rome, the governing body of the world at that time. And yet he picks these guys, most of whom were just kind of blue-collar workers. And he says, I want you to take my message to the rest of the world. This is a big task, a tall order for some ordinary-seeming folks. We look at those folks today and we think like, oh, St. Peter and these guys are like so great and so holy. But man, they, they didn't think that. A lot of times they were scared. They were confused. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to get them to do or trying to get them to say or think. And that's the scene we're finding ourselves in in Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be again today. You can follow along with us. All the verses will be on the screen for you also. And so in this series, we're kind of examining, like, what do we do when we find ourselves in a similar kind of waiting period? This 10-day stretch of questions and uncertainty and feeling like what we've wanted out of life has been stripped away or taken from us. And we're left with more questions than answers, more confusion um, than direction. And so that's what we're kind of discussing in the series. Last week in week one, I said to you guys, if you find yourself in that kind of spot in life, it's possible God's trying to give you something brand new. God's trying to bring you into something brand new. Maybe it's not the church, you know, like it was for these guys, but maybe it's something brand new you hadn't even considered before. And so he might be like he was for them last week at the beginning of chapter one in Acts. He might be giving you new directions. He might be giving you a new purpose. He might be giving you a new mindset like he's trying to give them. And it's easy to like miss that. It's easy to ignore that. It's easy to, to, to not see it right? And so we wrapped up last week by saying you don't always get to pick your life, but you always get to pick how you live. You don't always get to choose your life, but you always get to choose how you're going to live. So if you're a note taker today, I just want to give you a list of verses. They'll be on the screen here. Just flip to those next. Yeah. Just jot these down if you're a note taker. We're not going to look at any of these verses today. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But if you're a note taker or somebody who likes to go back after the service and study through the text a little deeper and and dig into God's Word a little bit more on your own. Uh, We're going to really talk about all these passages today in Acts chapter 1. We're just not going to flip to them to read them. Some of them are quoted word for word in Acts chapter 1, but these are all kind of references to the story that's going to come up at the end of Acts chapter 1 about Judas. Peter's going to retell the story about Judas and how he betrayed Jesus He's going to give us a lot of details from that story. We're going to read through them in just a second. But these, plus some others, there's actually more, but I just wanted to give you some to kind of like get you started if you're a good Bible study or on your own. Like check these out and you'll hear some of these exact wordings today from these verses. But all throughout the New and Old Testament, what happened with Judas is recorded. It isn't like the Old Testament just predicted things about Jesus. It predicted things about everybody that would be around Jesus and, and, and people who would betray him and people who would deny him and where he would be executed and, and where he'd be born and where he'd be raised, all those things. Like there's a lot of detail predicted about Jesus thousands of years before he was on the scene. And Judas's situation is no different. And so you can just kind of like keep that list for yourself. We're going to stay in Acts chapter 1 the whole time, but I just wanted you to see some of these cross-references you could check out on your own if you wanted to. So let me ask you guys a question to kind of kick off today's teaching from God's word. Are you a direction follower? Or for lack of a better way to say it, are you kind of like a winger? You know what I'm talking about? Like if you're setting something up at home, you order something and it has some assembly required. 
Do you get the directions out or do you just swing it? So like, there's like seven wives just like, you're a winger. They're like poking their husband. But are you, I don't know. So I, I just want you to know, I'm just going to be honest about myself. I don't know if this like, uh, if I have to turn in my man card for this or not, but like I am a direction follower. All right. I know it's not like kind of man, like the man thing to do, but like I do not wing it. If something comes with direction, in fact, Stephanie's a little bit more of a winger than me. And it makes me a little angry if I'm being honest. I, I'll be like, slow down. What's the direction say? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm a direction follower. I think I know enough about Michael to know he's probably a winger. He's a winger. I can see that. But uh, let me just, you're a what? A cobbler. <laughs> you just do it till you get it right. So seven times through, and then you'll eventually get it right. So let me just see, show of hands, how many of you are direction followers or Christians, as I like to call you? No, I'm just kidding. How many of you are direction followers? Direction followers. Kenny, maybe that's why we get along so well, huh? Yes. And then raise your hand. How many of you are wingers? Yeah. How many of you are so lazy you couldn't even raise your hand for one of those? Just go ahead and raise your, just raise your hand right now. If you're, it's like, can't even get my arm in the air. I'm so lazy. Okay. Yeah, so kind of maybe about half and half there on that direction followers and wingers. That's good. So uh, if you're a direction follower, you may want to marry a winger. You may need that opposite to kind of like uh, center you a little bit. So, but um, yeah, so I'm a direction follower. But what I can't stand is when I order something and it's, I consider myself to be a fairly intelligent, reasonable thinking, um, logical approach to life kind of person. And what I can't stand is when I order something that has some assembly required and it shows up and it has directions and I get the directions out and the directions are confusing. That's frustrating to me. You ever get one of those? It looks like some third grader like drew the pictures and you're like, I, how can I follow that? Every picture looks identical. That's irritating to me. I feel like that's the situation these disciples find themselves in in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has sent them the directions. He's gone over the directions time and time again. He even showed up after his resurrection and spent 40 more days talking with them about the kingdom of God, giving them more directions. And yet it still seems like sometimes they're more confused than ever. But maybe I'd be the same way if I was in that situation. If I had in my head that it was going to go one way and then it went a completely different way, if I thought I understood what God wanted and then life didn't seem to be matching up to that prescription or that plan, I might also be frustrated or confused. Maybe that's you too. I don't know. But let me read you how this passage starts. Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week in verse 12. And it says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Anybody know what they were doing on the Mount of Olives? Anybody was here last week that can remember? You don't have to raise your hand. You just shout it out if you want to. Pentecostal style. Whoop. Just shout it out if you remember. Nobody remembers? Or they Watching Jesus ascend into heaven. You remember? I mean, I only said it three times today. Okay, so yeah, they're watching Jesus ascend back into heaven. You remember that? And they're staring up, watching him get smaller and smaller and go further and further away until finally two angels show up and they're like, what are you guys staring up into the clouds for? Jesus is coming back just like he left someday. So get busy doing what he told you to do, right? So they're heading back from that scene. They're heading back from the Mount of Olives where Jesus had ascended back into heaven it says it was about a distance of a half mile, or some translations of the Bible would say it was a Sabbath day's walk. The most you could walk in a Sabbath day was five-eighths of a mile without breaking the law. 
And so uh, we should have that rule today. I like that. I don't want to walk any further than five-eighths of a mile. Even that's a stretch, if I'm being honest at this point in my life. But so they are walking back from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. And if you remember from last week, the new directions that Jesus had given them was don't leave Jerusalem until God sends you the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Don't leave Jerusalem until God gives you what he promised he was going to give you. So they're headed back to Jerusalem about a half mile or a little over a half mile away. Verse 13, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. All 11, right? That's Jesus' 11 closest disciples. He had 12, right? But Judas Iscariot, not there. Right? He's gone. He betrayed him and, and he killed himself. I don't know if you remember that story. Now we're going to Review it again, just a second. But the other 11 are all there in this upper room, in this room uh, in the upstairs of the house they're staying at. And they're waiting for this Holy Spirit to show up. And, and what Jesus didn't tell them was how long they were going to have to wait. And I think for us, like what's so hard is not the waiting. It's the not knowing how long I have to wait. And if Jesus would just give me the rest of the details, I'd have a little bit more faith, right? Isn't that kind of what we think? Like I could wait as long as it takes for a godly wife or a godly husband, but could you just tell me how long I'm going to have to wait? Or I could wait as long as it's going to take to get the dream job I want or to get where I want to be in life or to buy that first house or to, uh, to have enough money to feel secure. Or, or I, I could wait as long as it takes to have children. If you would just tell me how long I'm going to have to wait, and I'd, I'd really trust then, right? But it doesn't usually work like that. A lot of times he just kind of gives us a lamp under our feet. And we can just see kind of like the next couple steps and we got to kind of keep carrying that lamp around to see like where we're supposed to go next, right? And so that's the situation these guys find them in. They're in this room. Jesus has made this promise. The promise is confusing, not because they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit or they didn't think the Holy Spirit would come or that God would give them the Holy Spirit, but because like, why did Jesus have to leave? I don't get it. I thought he was supposed to be the king. I thought he was supposed to free us. I thought he was supposed to set up this kingdom. Now he's leaving. It wasn't real clear on that. He said we were going to get the power of the Holy Spirit, but when? We're just supposed to wait here? It seems like we should be doing something. What are we just sitting around for? And I, too, might have felt like that. Uncertain. Confused. Frustrated, even. Impatient, maybe. I might have felt like that. I don't think I would have done what they did. But I want you to see what they did next. Look at verse 14. Here's what they did. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. A bunch of people at this house went men, women, close people with Jesus. And they were all united in prayer. If you're an underliner, just underline those words. I love those words. United in prayer. And I feel like, is that me? When I'm confused, when I've got questions, when I feel like what I want out of life isn't coming fast enough, am I united 
in prayer. Or, or do I go the opposite direction? Do I, instead of being united in prayer, do I isolate in solitude? Ha, huh, this is a good question for us. Because what I've found over the years for my own life, what I've seen at three strands over the years, is when it gets difficult, when I get confused, when my answers aren't coming fast enough, I don't get united and keep praying. I isolate and retreat into solitude. And I wonder, like, for you, what's been your pattern? When the going gets tough, the tough tend to get going back to their own house and hide. You ever notice that? And I got to be real and honest, like, that's what I want to do. Because I don't want people to know how screwed up I am. And I don't want people to, to look at me like I haven't reached all the goals I've got in life. I want people to see an achiever, a success, a winner. What I don't want to do is get connected and united with people. What I don't want to do is keep praying with them about my lot in life. What I want to do is go hide, be by myself with my own thoughts. But what I've noticed is that like my own thoughts, they tend to like lead me away from Jesus. But my prayers, they tend to lead me closer to Jesus. It's just a good question to ask ourselves today. Are you uniting in prayer? Or are you isolating in solitude? Okay, now the rest of the chapter, Peter's going to start talking. And he's going to kind of take the lead. It's kind of his thing. He's going to talk to them about Judas and some practical stuff they need to do. And the rest of the chapter is going to be this speech he gives the group of followers, okay? Except for two verses. In the middle, there's two verses that aren't Peter talking. There's two verses that Luke, the author, felt like he needed to break out of just recording the narrative of what Peter was saying and give us some backstory, give us some, some uh, behind-the-scenes look. And, and so in, in some translations of the Bible, these two verses, you'll find them in parentheses, like they're a footnote to the, to the text, okay? I want to give you those two verses first, then we'll read through all the stuff Peter said together. But look with me at verses 18 and 19. Here's the backstory Luke thinks we need. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. I know that's gross. Sorry. Just the truth. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name El-Kadama, which means field of blood. Field of blood. Okay? It's interesting. And if you go to that passage I gave you earlier, Matthew 27, 3 to 10, that's Matthew's recording of this same event, okay? But, but uh, uh, and, and there's some conflict there in the text because Matthew seems to indicate that Judas hung himself and, and, and Luke seems to indicate that he kind of fell on some rocks or something and split his guts open, okay? But there's really no conflict there. It's, it's easy to see, like, you could hang yourself and the rope snap or the branch break and you fall, and when you fall, you fall on some rocks, and you cut yourself open. So that's most likely what happened with Judas. He hangs himself, and the rope or the branch or something snaps, and he falls, and he's in this field, and there's rocks there, and he gashes himself on the rocks, and his intestines spill out. Sorry if you're, that grosses you out. You should be in the kids' class, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's just, I'm just reading what's there. I don't know. 
But um, okay, so that's the backstory. Now Peter's going to talk all about Judas and what they need to do because of what Judas did. But what stuck out to me in that past, I know this is so weird. Maybe it's like, you're so warped and confused and you're like, you're like a psychopath. Maybe you think I'm a psychopath. I don't know. But what stuck out to me is this whole idea of the field of blood. And I was thinking about this like all week this week. And I just thought, it's interesting because this field was like a nothing. It had no name. It was nothing important. It was just some field for sale. And here, Judas, with the money that he got to betray Jesus, this field is purchased. Judas ends up killing himself on that field. We're going to find out that, or, or if you look back at that passage in Matthew, you'd find out that this field would become a place where they would bury foreigners. People that were like in town who died, but weren't like were for somewhere else. They didn't have anywhere to get buried. They'd bury him in this field. It was like a field to bury strangers. And I just thought like, and then it says uh, uh, that the, the truth or the message about this spread all over Jerusalem. They all heard about this. This is where, where Judas went and died. And then they called it the field of blood. And I just thought, that's interesting. It's like, it's almost like I got my own fields of blood. My own places that like nobody really thought about them before I was there. And then when I showed up there, I put some kind of mark on that place. And now people think of it as like, like me. And so it's like this year or this place. And it was just kind of innocuous. It had no rep. It had no uh, like title. But then I put my foolish self there. And now it's like the place where like I caused a divorce or the place where like I ruined somebody else's reputation or the place where like I took advantage of somebody. It's like my field of blood. It's like my spot in the past that, that like has now become this place of kind of, I don't know, insult about how I've been. And so, they, and so they name this place the field of blood. And I wonder if you've got your own spots in your life like that. The places that remind you of what happened in your past. The times when the things you valued were taken away from you. And you were so depressed, maybe to the point of death. Times that you wouldn't have ever picked. And times that you would like to forget, but you just can't seem to get them out of your head. I got lots of those times in my life. Fields of blood. Now the rest of the passage, like I said is Peter talking about kind of this character, this Judas character in this event. Let me read you what it says, and let's talk about it for just a minute, starting in verse 15. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us, and shared in the ministry with us. Now skip down to verse 20. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms. I gave you a couple of those passages earlier. Where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. 
Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. This is a side note for everybody, but the book of Acts, like a transition book. Somebody taught me this when I was very young. Very helpful for me in my life, trying to understand the whole of the Bible. But Acts is a book of transition. It's really the New Testament begins in Acts. The Gospels are really still the Old Testament. Until Jesus rises from the dead, we're really still under kind of the Old Covenant. And so Acts kind of begins the New Covenant or the New Testament. And so Acts is kind of like this transition book. There's a lot of things in the Bible that only happen in Acts. They don't show up anywhere else. And so it's very difficult to build like firm doctrine just out of the book of Acts. Because it could have been something that was just happening for a short season. This is a good example here, this casting lots. We don't ever do that today, right? We don't make any church decisions that way, do we? We roll some dice or draw straws to see what we're going to do as a church. No, we don't do that. Why? This is the very last time in the whole Bible that lots are cast. This is an Old Testament practice of kind of understanding what God's will was. You would pray and you would ask God, like, make it revealed, Lord, and roll the dice or draw straws. And we don't do that anymore. It never happens again after this moment in Acts chapter 1. So a lot of stuff in Acts like that. It's not really about the teaching today. It's just kind of a side note to kind of help you understand the whole of Scripture a little bit better. So as I read through that passage this week, two lines kept sticking out to me. I just kept thinking them and, 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 and hearing them in my head as I was considering this whole concept of like these fields of blood in my life that Peter was addressing. Let me give them both to you. We'll show them to you again and see if they kind of make sense to you. Here's the first one. He said, it had to happen. It had to happen. Okay, so if you're a note taker, that's kind of the first one. It had to happen. I'll show it to you again, then we'll flash it back up there for you if you're trying to write it down. But look back with me at verse 16. Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Had to be fulfilled? It's like he's saying it had to happen. It had to happen. Concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus, this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, the first thing I thought to myself this week was like, why? Why did it have to happen? Could have happened another way. There didn't have to be a Judas in the story. You think the the religious leaders weren't capable enough of hating Jesus' guts by themselves and wanting to have him killed? You think that Jesus himself even said, like, why are you coming to get me in this garden? Wasn't I in the temple every day teaching and preaching? Why don't you just come get me one of those times? You didn't need Judas to betray him. But, But Luke records kind of two reasons that really connected why it had to happen. He says the scriptures said it. That's a good principle for our lives. If the Bible said it, it's coming true, right? And then he says, kind of doubles down on that. He's like, the Holy Spirit predicted it was going to happen. So it had to happen. It had to happen. Now, you wouldn't have necessarily wanted it to happen. I bet none of those guys in the room right there were like, yeah, I wish there'd be some guy who would chill with us for three years, travel around with us, be our BFF, and then stab us all in the back. They would have rather it not happen that way. It didn't have to happen in their perspective that way, but it had to happen from God's perspective. The Scripture said it. The Holy Spirit predicted it. And I wonder if there's any things in our life that have to happen. You look at those fields of blood moment, those things you'd like to just forget in your past, those decisions you made that look like wrong decisions now in hindsight, and you think, man, I wish that hadn't have happened. And maybe that's the kind of thing that had to happen. I know we don't like that. You wouldn't have chosen it if you could do it again, but it had to happen. And I thought back, like, what are some of the other things that the Scriptures say or that the Holy Spirit predicted? Now, some of these things aren't going to be on, like, your desk calendar words of the day, but here's some things, like, that the Holy Spirit says. How about when he said, like, 
uh, in this world, you'll have trouble. I don't like that one. It doesn't read so well on my wall at home, you know. Hey, hope you're here. Love the Lord. Today you're going to have a lot of trouble. We don't put that up. How about when Jesus said, like, if the world hated me, you can be sure it's going to hate you too. Or how about when he said, if you follow me, you will suffer persecution. Like, I don't want that stuff to happen, but it's like it has to happen. It has to happen for some reason. I can't always see the reason. I don't always want it to happen. I don't always like it when it does happen. I know it isn't how you planned it or what you want to take place. I don't even really know if Judas wanted it to take place the way it went down. If you look back sometime on your own at Matthew chapter 27 that I gave you earlier in that list, you'll find out like Judas, he gets these 30 pieces of, uh, of uh, silver or whatever, and he, he, he betrays Jesus for it. And then, and then when they decide they're going to execute Jesus, he says he feels some regret. And he takes the money and throws it back to him, doesn't even keep it. They go by that field with it where he kills himself. Ironic. I know I get it's ironic, but think about it for a second. It was like Judas got so upset that Jesus was going to get executed that he gave the money back that he betrayed him for. It's like Judas's problem wasn't really that he hated Jesus. That wasn't his problem. If we could be honest about what Judas's problem was, if you look through his whole life in the Bible, the little pieces and glimpses we get of it, Judas's problem was he wanted money. That was his problem. So he regularly stole money out of their money bag. Here he was willing to do something to get third. See, I think Judas thought, I don't know this for sure, the Bible doesn't say this is David, New, Inter New International David version or something, but like, I don't know this for sure, but it's just my, uh, it's my guess. I think Judas had seen the religious leaders try to get Jesus so many times and him slip away, him be able to get out the back door, somehow just get out of the way and they couldn't get him or the crowd kind of protected him. I think he thought I could sell him out. He'll get out of it and I'll be 30 pieces of silver richer. And when, they find, when he finds out that Jesus is going to be executed, it says in Matthew 27, then he feels regret. And he gives back the money. I, I think that's interesting. I think it's like he, he didn't really want it to go down that way. But now he's looking at it and he's like, but it did. It did go down that way. It, it had to happen that way. It had to happen because the Holy Spirit said it would happen that way. I know what those kind of moments are like. I don't know if you know what those kind of moments are like. Maybe you do, need to do a better like self-check of your own life inventory. But like, I know what those moments are like. Some of you in the room like know my story. You know that like I know what it's like to be sitting in a prison cell by myself, thinking I've ruined my whole life, thinking every relationship I had is over, thinking I'll never be what I want to be in life. I'll never get where I want to go in life. Feeling alone, feeling like everything has been taken away. And in that moment, there's no way if you could have interviewed me, there's no, no way I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm glad this happened. I'm glad I'm sitting here right now. But when I look back on it now, gosh, I don't even know, 24 years later or something like that, I don't even know how long it's been now. When I look back on it now, I often will say to myself when I'm talking to the Lord, like, it had to happen. Because I know exactly the kind of guy I'd be if it hadn't happened. I wouldn't be a pastor. I, I wouldn't be married to Stephanie, that's for sure. Wouldn't probably, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd have kids. I wouldn't have the kids I got. I know that. Probably be in prison somewhere, if I'm being honest. 
And so it's easier now to look back and be like, it had to happen. But in that moment, I wasn't thinking that. You're not thinking that when you're in those moments. Moments where it feels like all of life has been taken from you. And I get it. I know that it's like a, a memory you can't shake, a past that keeps haunting you, a, a record you can't get away from, a, a, a ghost that somebody just keeps throwing in your face. I get it. But what if it had to happen? And no matter how awful it was or how awful it feels right now, I can promise you this, God has every intention in the world of using it for something good right now. Because that's kind of what he does. I was just talking to somebody on the phone this morning, and uh, uh, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what they said, but I was like, yeah, I know it feels awful right now, I said. But one thing I know for sure is like God wants to make something good out of it. That's a guarantee in the Bible too. And so I was thinking, man, it had to happen. And I think, well, it didn't seem like it had to happen, but yeah, maybe it kind of did have to happen. And here's the second phrase that stuck out to me. I'll show it to you. It's in verse 21. Look at it again, verse 21. It says, now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were traveling with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. And I looked at that and I thought, no, we really don't, Peter. It's almost like Peter showed up at like somebody's funeral. He's like, hey, we got to get over this. Let's find somebody to replace them. They're in the castle. You're like, dude, it's a little too soon, you know? And you're thinking like of all the things Peter could have brought up in that 10-day stretch where they're all kind of like uncertain about the future and not sure what's coming next and feeling like this isn't going according to plan and Jesus has been taken away from him. Peter's like, let me just uh, dig up a little old wound. You know how like 43 days ago or however many days it's been now, 40 so, 40 plus days ago. Remember how like one of our best friends stabbed us all in the back? We should find somebody to take his place. Like, Peter, how about like a, hey, man, let's just pray and just ask God for some comfort. You know, like, he's like, no, what, what, what do you mean? So the second phrase that stuck out to me is where he says here at the beginning, so now we must. And I thought, well, I don't understand that. It's like, why? Like, why must we bring up the most painful part of the last two months, Peter? Why must we bring that up? Why, why can't we just comfort each other and love on each other and just wait quietly? Until the Holy Spirit comes, why must we move forward? Why must we stick to the plan? Why must we follow the blueprint? Why? Here's why. So we have to do the hard work of following God's instructions. Whether I'm in the middle of tragedy or not, whether I'm hurting or uncertain, whether I'm confused or sad, when I'm feeling lonely or abandoned, in all those moments, it's on me to say, like, no, I'm going to keep sticking to the blueprint. <laughs> you just put those together and you're like, it had to happen, so now we must. And that's kind of what Peter's message is. You take out all the Judas stuff and all the Matthias stuff and all the replacement and the casting lots and the basic message was like, something awful had to happen. But because it happened, we must still stick to the blueprint. We can't deviate. And that's not how I feel. Because what I'd rather do is hide away. Just stew on it a little bit. Self-medicate or wallow in my own misery for a while. I'd rather give up or pull back. I definitely don't want to stay united in prayer. That's for sure. I don't want to stay connected with other believers. I don't want to keep praying about it. I just want to forget about it and be left alone. 
What I want to say to God in those moments is like, God, can't you see that I'm in pain? Don't you get it that I hurt? Don't you even care that I feel alone? I mean, where are you in these moments? And God would look back at me or you and he would say, I'm sitting on the exact same throne I was when my son felt abandoned or alone or betrayed. He's still the king. Nothing's changed. Somehow for me, it feels like everything's changed, but from his perspective, nothing's changed and it had to happen that way. I wouldn't have picked it. Have you ever noticed how easily we deviate from God's blueprint? How little negativity has to come into our life? How small amount of adversity it really takes to convince us to disconnect from God's plan? To take a seat on the bench like we're not qualified to play anymore? Do you ever notice how little it takes? I like to think of myself as like pretty... Uh, high capacity and resistant and tough and all that. But like, man, it doesn't take very much. There have been weeks where like, I, like 30 people have said something super positive to me. And then like one jerk has said something negative, And all I can think about is the one thing negative. It's amazing how little it really takes to derail the whole plan. But what if it had to happen? What if I needed that negative comment to drive me back to God and ask him for help? What if I needed that one negative event or that one poor choice? God doesn't want you to suffer. He's not hoping you'll feel lonely or depressed. But what if it had to happen to get your attention so you'd finally realize you can't do this life without him? Would it be worth one heartache? One diagnosis, one lost job? Would it be worth one shattered relationship? Would it be worth one uncomfortable, I would never choose it, I hated it at the time kind of moment for God to wake me up so that I would be like, now I must, now I must stick to his blueprint. What if it, what if it, was exactly what I needed to get my attention so that I would finally press into God's way and trust his grace. What if I needed it? Because when it was all going well and I had it all figured out, I didn't really think I needed God's grace. But when I was sitting alone in a prison cell, it's all I had left. And so sometimes you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so what if it had to happen so that you would stick to God's blueprint? That's my question for us from Acts chapter one. They go on and they pick Matthias and he becomes one of the apostles. And we don't know very much about Matthias. He's not mentioned again in the Bible. History kind of records that he was executed for preaching the gospel in what is the modern day country of Georgia. But here he becomes this guy. In fact, he was hanged, it says. And I think that's ironic that Judas hanged himself and, and now his replacement goes out and is faithful to Jesus and preaches the gospel and is hanged for it. But it had to happen so they would pick him. It had to happen so they would press into the blueprint. It had to happen. 
So I just ask you, you know what those moments are in your life, those fields of blood everybody throws in your face or you can't get out of your head. The moments when you look and you think, I screwed it all up or everything I wanted was taken away from me. What if it had to happen so that right here today, you would decide, I'm gonna stick to God's blueprint. I'm not gonna run and hide. Instead, I'm gonna unite in prayer. Just keep praying. Just keep uniting. Just keep doing it God's way. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, some good truth from Acts chapter one, and I pray you would help the people in our room right now internalize that truth, but not just hold it in their heart. Would you give them the courage to go live it out, to get united with other believers, to keep praying and pressing in, to keep showing up, joining in and being real, to keep being weak and vulnerable and honest about their worst mistakes, about their biggest struggles, to keep pressing into your grace because they need it desperately. God, it's going to take courage. Would you give us courage to live like that? To tear down the front, to make space for you to show up, to keep believing that your way is best, to keep trusting that you've got a plan and that you're going to work all the things out for good no matter how awful they seem or how badly I didn't want any of them to happen. Would you help us to just say to you today, I see now, God, that it had to happen so that I would stick to the blueprint. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.